I've got Pastor David Wise with me. Brother David is the pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. He co-leads a Wednesday night gathering off the campus of Mississippi State with Pastor Joe Nettles. And you can watch those online at the Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church Facebook page. Uh, Brother David can be heard on the Gospel of Grace radio show. It's played local there in Mississippi, but you can find it online at gospel-of-grace.com. He's a contributor at marchtozion.com. He's written two books that I'd highly recommend. They can both be found at the March Design Bookstore. And I'll put a link in the show notes for this podcast so you can find all those. Don't have to write them down now, but Brother David, welcome and thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it, Brother Josh. I'm excited for this podcast and uh, the efforts of he shall save media and appreciate you uh asking me on here yes sir well we're happy to have you brother david is can we still say you're a newlywed i think so uh as of the time of this recording (laughs) i am uh happily married four and a half months so i believe i'm still a newlywed so what has changed at your house from the time because you were a bachelor you had your own place now your wife's moved in. What's changed about the house? All of the decor. And uh, we actually uh, decorated for fall. We decorated for Christmas. We had a Christmas tree as opposed to um, pretty much nothing in my old apartment and in this house prior to, uh, to getting married. And I've been told by friends who saw the before and the after uh, prior to marriage and after marriage, that now it actually looks like a female lives in the house. And I'm very glad she does. So uh, I, there has been a significant change <laughs> in the uh, quality of uh, the look of the house. <laughs> so that's a, that's an all has changed, all without exception, not all of some types, right? <laughs> that's that's correct right the, the, that is uh almost an all-inclusive all <laughs> it's an all-inclusive all and if you don't get that maybe we'll do a podcast on that sometime soon um same thing happened with me the first thing that when i had a nice rocky balboa poster in the living room that's the first thing that that went down when i got married um, that came down and then all my alabama stuff came down as well and it's still in the closet <laughs> All right. I brought Brother David on. Um, he recently preached a sermon entitled Past Tense Salvation, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And so I want to look at two verses real quick and then turn it over to him. The first being Matthew 121. That's where we get the name for this podcast. If you didn't know the M121 podcast, but the angel is talking to Joseph and says this about Mary. She shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he, speaking of Jesus, shall save his people from their sins. So there's a future salvation that's going to take place, and Jesus is going to be the one that saves his people from their sins. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul's writing to another minister, Timothy, and he says this in verse 8. We'll read verse 8 and verse 9. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And then speaking of God, he says, who hath saved us 
and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So in Matthew one twenty one, he shall save his people. Paul says to Timothy, he hath saved us. So something has taken place. And that's kind of where I want to turn it over to you, David, and, and talk about what, what are these verses talking about and what do you mean by a past tense salvation? Uh, first, I'd like to just go right to uh, a verse that, that clearly summarizes what we believe happened between those two verses. And that verse is John chapter 19 and in verse 30. And uh, we can read that together where it says, When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, so Jesus said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. And um, something that we really try to emphasize in the uh, primitive Baptist church, and a primitive simply means original, so we simply try to hold to the teachings of the original Baptist church. So this is not really a primitive Baptist niche belief. This is just simply what the Bible teaches. And the Bible teaches that Jesus finished the work of salvation on the cross. Jesus affirmed that with his own two, uh, with his own two lips in his uh, final words. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, weight that's put on a person's final words here in this life. Someone passes away and uh, they say something right before they die. That has a lot of significance and a lot of weight, even in the court of law. And uh, I think it's really important for us to consider what Jesus said right before he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And Jesus said, it is finished. And that Greek word that we get finished from in the King James Bible that we use in the Primitive Baptist Church, that Greek word finished is T-E-L-E-O, teleo. And I want to just uh, emphasize the definition from the Strong's Concordance of what this word means, uh, because I don't think you can look at the definition of this word and have any other conclusion than exactly what Jesus finished is fully done and completed. So the definition of this Greek word teleo means to end, that is to complete, execute, conclude, discharge a debt, accomplish, make an end, expire, fill up, finish, go over, pay, perform. I think you pretty much get the, get the idea. Discharge a debt. And that means that our uh, debt of sin before God literally has a stamp on it that says telio, paid in full. It is finished. And uh, Matthew one twenty one that you've already read for us says that Jesus came into the world to save his people from their sins. And that means that Jesus had a people when he came into the world and he had a people because God gave him a people in the covenant of redemption. They elected the God had elected chose out a people before the world began. Jesus had a people, a designated group of people that he came in the world to save them from their sins. And Jesus declared on the cross that he had finished the work that he came in the world to do. 
And uh, the work that he came into the world to do was to save his people from their sins. And he discharged their debt. He finished that work of salvation. And now, as the Holy Spirit inspires the Apostle Paul to write after the death of Jesus, now that work of salvation that had been prophesied in the Old Testament, it had been prophesied to Joseph prior to the birth of Jesus. I mean, even they, even uh, Jesus's own name means Savior. Uh, salvation is not offered to anyone that is willing, that wants to accept Jesus, that wants to choose to believe. Salvation isn't offered. That's not what the scriptures teach. Instead, God chose the people before the foundation of the world. Jesus came into the world to save his people from their sins, and he finished the work of salvation. So uh, I think what's really important to understand is that salvation is not a pending transaction. It's not an offer. It is um, began and completed and fully perfected in the mind and the purpose of God, and that was carried out by Jesus on the cross because that is what was necessary to save God's people from their sins. And uh, Jesus declared on the cross that he finished the work that he came into the world to do. And uh, that, that is a very important point here on the M121 podcast, the Matthew 121 uh, podcast, that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And the scriptures simply teach that Jesus did that. He, uh, he saved his people from their sins. And one other verse to kind of consider in conjunction with this that I believe uh, emphasizes this point is John chapter 17 and verse 2 as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him and that verse says that there was a people that were given to Christ you also notice the distinction between all flesh in the first half of that verse and then the people that were given to Christ in the second half of that verse which would in which would indicate that those are not the same group, that not the entire world was given to Jesus on the cross to die for their sins. Because Jesus discharged the debt of sin, he finished the work of salvation for everyone that he died for. So if he died for everyone, then everyone is saved. Hebrews 1 and verse 3 said, when he had by himself purged our sins. So Jesus purged our sins, Hebrews chapter 10, verses uh, 12 and 14 said Jesus offered one sacrifice for sins forever. And then verse 14 says, for by one offering hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I mean, the people that Jesus died for are perfected forever. The people that Jesus died for um, are given eternal life. And that's not an offer of eternal life for man to choose whether he wants to live in heaven with God for all of eternity. This is a eternal life that is given sovereignly that we don't have the ability to reject. It's not a gift that you have the ability to, to just turn back over to the Lord. Um, but notice the uh, wording there in John chapter 17 and verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And I believe the majority of Christianity believes that he should give eternal life, that Jesus is offering eternal life to as many as will believe in him. And that's simply not 
what the verse says. You know, Jesus didn't do his part on the cross, and now it's up to a person to hear the gospel and believe the gospel. And it's a pending transaction that you have the opportunity to uh, opt into eternal life. You have the offer and the opportunity to believe on Jesus. And if you do believe on Jesus, then your reward for that is eternal life. God doesn't give eternal life uh, to those who believe on him. Belief is an evidence that someone is already born again. Belief is an evidence that one already has eternal life. When we see this verse here in John chapter 17 and verse 2, Jesus gives eternal life to everyone that was given to him. And the people that were given to him are his people, the elect. Salvation isn't offered. Salvation isn't a proposition that God is giving people the opportunity or the possibility to to opt in or accept him to go to heaven. Uh, the words cutting you off there, but so salvation, what you're saying is a is a surety for God's people. It's not it's not something that that an elect. You talked about a lot there. You talked about Christ's mission when he came to earth. You talked about election, his people. Uh, you talked about an offering, uh, whether Christ was offered to all or did, or was, what, I think you quoted there from Hebrews chapter 10, where it says that he, he, he offered himself to God. You know, a lot of people think that, that Christ offered himself to the world, but Christ never offered himself to me or to you. He offered himself to God. You talked That's about right. hearing and believing the gospel. You talked about uh, belief being an evidence, not a cause of salvation. Uh, so a lot, to, a lot to unpack there. Let's let's talk about Christ's mission for just a second. I, I thought about this verse as you were talking, uh, John chapter six, verse thirty-eight. For he says, "For I came down from heaven." You know, that's a that's a good question. Why did Christ come down from heaven? He says, "I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me." So he came down to do the will of his father, right? This is my father's will, which has sent me that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. He, he came to rescue his people. Um, talk about election for a minute. You, you kind of talked about his people or election. What does that mean? You, you're saying that Christ didn't offer himself to everybody or Christ is not offered uh, for people to accept him. So who did Christ come to save? So what we see in the scriptures, particularly in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, is that God chose out a people before the foundation of the world. And, and uh, the word election and the word predestination uh, can cause some uh, confusion to some people. Uh, they've never heard those terms. And uh, just from them just not knowing about them, uh, as we are with a lot of things that we don't know about, uh, that can be scary or concerning. But they are biblical terms, and they are um, a description of God's purpose in salvation. And God's purpose in salvation is not for Jesus to come into the world and to die on the cross with the hope that some people might be interested in him to believe and go to heaven. God is a, a God of purpose, and God has a perfect will, 
And God did not just think before the foundation of the world that, you know, I think it'll be a good idea for Jesus to come and die with the hopes that some people might believe on him. And maybe we can have a couple people in heaven if enough people are interested in the gospel to believe on Jesus. Instead, what the scriptures teach is that before the foundation of the world, that God chose out a people for his glory and chose out a people. And the word election simply means a choosing. Uh, Ephesians chapter one and verse four, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So this word election simply means a choosing. That's what we find in verse four, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So when did this choosing take place? It, it happened before the foundation of the world. And those that God chose, what was the basis of his choice? The basis of God's choice for a people to save was not based on something they would do. It's not based on works. It's not based on a future belief. Election is not foreknowledge. Election is not God choosing out those who he knew would choose him. Because we find in Psalms 14, we see that God looked out from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and see God. And what God found when he looked out to see if there was anyone that would be obedient in the future. This is Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3, and this is verse 3. When he looked out to see if there were any that did understand, what God saw is, they, is that they are all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. So some people would say, well, God chose those that would choose him. Well, that's not very good news because God looked out and said, well, there's no one that would choose me. So therefore, what's the basis of God's election? The basis of God's choice of a people to salvation is not a foreknowledge that someone would believe on him in the future. God's basis, God, God's reason why he chose out of people is simply by his grace. And actually, as we continue on there in Ephesians chapter one, we arrive at predestination in verse five. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, why did God do that? Why did God choose a people? Why did God elect a people? And predestination simply means those that God chose, those that he elected, those that he loved before the foundation of the world. He's loved us with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31, 3. So th those that God loved and he elected, then God simply designated that their final destination would be with him. He predetermined the final destination of all of God's people. That's what predestination means. Those that God elected, those that God chose, he predestinated for them to be in heaven. Now, why did God do all that? Why did God choose out of people, elect the people, by grace, not by future good works, by nothing more than his unmerited favor. So why did God do that? Why did God choose out of people and predestinate them to be in heaven? Well, actually, before we get there, uh, what was the basis of that? Is it your will to choose him? Is it your will to pray a prayer or to perform some other action? It says that we are predestinated under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You know, it's not your will to believe on the Lord. It's not your will to want to go to heaven 
by some action that you perform that is the basis of you going to heaven. No, it's it's based on God's will. It's based on God's choice. And the reason why God did all that in verse six, to the praise of the glory of his grace, the whole reason why God chose out of people to save by his grace is so that those that have uh, been chosen would know about that and praise God for saving them by grace. So that's why God chose the people and he predestinated them. And that's certainly what we'll be doing in heaven for all of eternity is, is praising God for his grace, for his unmerited favor. So uh, that, that's a uh, 101 uh, version of, of election of God's choosing of the people to salvation and not based on future good works, not based on God's foreknowledge of what we would do in the future, but instead God choosing out of people by nothing more than his free and sovereign grace. Yeah. So what David is explaining here is what we believe in, and M121 and he shall save media is a, is a primitive Baptist or historic Baptist ministry. And what we hold to as historic Baptists is the sovereignty of God and salvation. And we lift up Christ as a successful savior. And I think just to boil down what David has been saying so far is that Christ, Christ came to save. And when he cried out on the cross that it is finished, he'd actually secured salvation. He had obtained salvation for his people. And so that's not something that that everyone believes that's not that's probably there's been times in history where that was a prevalent belief but but now um i, I would say 90 percent, 95 percent, i don't know 99 percent of of christianity uh, you've got to do something right to be saved uh yeah they may believe in election but like you said it's the it's the ones that would choose god that he actually elected well that's not that's contrary to scripture you know there's the grace but doctrine uh, where you know you're saved by grace but you got to do this you got to do that you got to do something else um, i've heard it said that once you say you're saved by grace but you just butted out all the grace uh, right we believe salvation is by grace alone period there's a parenthetical statement in ephesians chapter 2 that says for by grace are you saved that's all it says for by grace are you saved and i've said if your soteriology or your your doctrine of salvation can't fit within that parenthetical statement, then it's not a biblical soteriology. Hope you're enjoying our conversation with David. We'll get right back to it when I ask him about the role of belief in the life of a disciple. But before we do that, I wanted to tell you about a booklet entitled Three Essential Facts that is available at the March to Zion bookstore. You can get there by going to marchtozion.com forward slash bookstore. That's M-A-R-C-H-T-O-Z-I-O-N.com forward slash bookstore. Scroll down until you see the link for three essential facts. It's a 40-page booklet. It's a transcription of a sermon that was preached by the late Sonny Piles in which he goes through three principles that have helped him and others unlock the truth of the Bible. The first principle is what the Bible says about the word salvation. Uh, the second is the law of cause and effect. And the third is what the Bible says about the phrase, the kingdom of God. These three principles can be considered keys that help readers come to a more full knowledge of the truth 
and I think you will greatly enjoy it. As always, visit us at heshallsave.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube page for the latest content. May God bless you all, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Where does belief fit in? Because the the standard, you know, how, how do I get saved or, or how does someone get saved? Belief plays a big part in that, in, in the doctrines of salvation with, with most people today. So where does belief fit in when you're saying that God chose a people, uh, he came to die for those people, it's all of grace. What about belief? Where does that fit in, David? Well, that's a great question, Josh, and uh, I get that question a lot because the verses that are presented uh, in the majority of Christianity to offer salvation to someone, they do say that if you believe, that you shall be saved. But it's primitive Baptists and not, again, just simply us holding the banner of the denomination of the primitive Baptists. We simply believe this is what the Bible teaches. So this is not us uh, trying to believe that we have a corner on the truth. Uh, we believe that anyone that if you read the Bible, I would certainly encourage you to read the King James version of the Bible. But if you read the Bible, you should be able to read these plain teaching of scripture, compare scripture with scripture. And as you start comparing the scripture, you will see that we're saved by grace and not by works. That's very clear. Uh, eternally in in the context of our eternal salvation and where we will spend eternity, whether in heaven with God or in hell, in the lake of fire, enduring God's chastisement, that eternal setting for where we will spend eternity, it's clear in scripture that eternal salvation, what determines our state for all of eternity, whether we're in heaven with God or suffering the judgment of God is determined by God and those that he chose out and Jesus saved on the cross, those are the people who are going to be with him in heaven. And everyone else is justly condemned as sinners and will endure the punishment of that judgment. But there's also verses in scripture that describe a salvation and a deliverance here in time for the believer when we're obedient to God. And a lot of these verses uh, describe a salvation. Uh, I, I believe everyone probably knows uh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, there's a whole lot there in Romans chapter 10 we don't have time to unpack. But if you just back up a little bit to verse 2, of Romans chapter 10, the people that are under consideration, they have a zeal of God already. They have a zeal that stems from God, that initiates from God. So these are not unregenerate people that are in need of eternal salvation. These are people that have a zeal of God, but they don't have the knowledge they need, but not according to knowledge. They're ignorant of God's righteousness, verse 3, and they're going about to establish their own righteousness. And just like in the first century, there are some people that put confidence of salvation not in Jesus Christ having finished the work of salvation solely by himself on the cross. There are some people that put confidence of salvation in something they did, a circumcision. And 
obedience to the Mosaic law. There are people that put confidence for salvation in something that they did. The Apostle Paul has a, a strong burden for those natural Jews that are putting confidence in Jesus plus the law. Okay. And he's saying, look, you need to not believe in this Jesus plus doctrine, this Jesus but doctrine. No, you need to confess Jesus alone. And when you do that, when you confess Jesus, there is a deliverance. There is a salvation. So the word salvation in Scripture simply means deliverance. And, and we see so many examples in Scripture that the word saved, if we're saved eternally by grace, but we're also saved by our belief, well, belief is something you do. So if belief is something you do, then that would make it a work. Well, how can we be saved by unmerited favor, not by our works? But yet we're also saved by something we do. Well, there's a different context and and your uh, belief doesn't change where you'll spend eternity. Your belief changes the way that you feel in your heart. You know, we think about justification by faith and the effect of justification by faith in the heart of the believer. We're told in Romans chapter five. And in verse 1, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we already stand legally and positionally saved by grace through Jesus Christ, through his finished work on the cross. Not by anything we did, but saved solely to heaven by grace. But when we hear the gospel, we understand it and we believe it. We place our faith solely in Jesus Christ to be saved. Now we feel a assurance, especially when you submit to believers baptism, we're told that that gives the answer of a good conscience. Your conscience is not convicting you, but it's giving a good answer. It's excusing you. It's affirming you. It's giving you an assurance that you are among God's children. And Jesus has already brought us to peace with God in heaven. We've been justified by his blood and by grace. We've been declared righteous before God um, by his work on the cross. But there's a difference between the legal work of Jesus Christ that saved us to heaven and then our knowledge and belief of that fact here in time. And uh, we're given faith in the new birth, and faith is a fruit of the Spirit. So someone can't exhibit faith unless they've already been born again. And that's an important thing to understand. Belief is not the cause of salvation. Belief is an evidence. It's an effect of salvation. So we have faith in the new birth, and we place that faith solely in Jesus Christ. Now we have peace in our heart that gives us assurance and peace that we are among God's children. And uh, that's a deliverance. It's a salvation. You know, we think about Acts chapter 2, and there were some people there that were already devout men. They were already serving God, but just like the people in Romans chapter 10, they had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And then the gospel was preached to them, and they were pricked in the heart, they were convicted in the heart, and they said, what do we need to do? Men and brethren, what do we need to do? And Peter told him, you need to repent and be baptized because you can save yourself from this untoward generation. That's in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 40. So, uh, again, rightly dividing the word saved in Scripture. 
if we're saved by grace, not by our works, lest any man should boast. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and many other places in the New Testament make that very clear. We're saved solely by grace and not by our works. But then we have a verse here that says we can save ourselves. We can save ourselves. But what's the situation in which we can save ourselves from? You can't save yourself from hell to heaven. You can't save yourself in an eternal sense. But this untoward generation is the generation that's around you here in your life. There's a salvation and deliverance that you can save yourself from this untoward generation when we hear the gospel, we believe the gospel, and especially when you not just believe the gospel in your heart, but you submit to believers' baptism. So we don't want to ever de-emphasize belief and faith because that is one of the most important things for the child of God here in this life because the Lord intends for us to have assurance and confidence of our eternal salvation. Just look at this verse with me real quick. First John chapter 5 and verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. You read a lot of verses in the uh, epistle of First John, and uh, the people that he's writing to here, he says multiple times, your sins are already forgiven. You know, you're already saved. You're already children of God. Your sins are already forgiven. But it's in that epistle that we find First John chapter 1 and verse 9 that is also quoted uh, many times as a offer of salvation. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, who were the people that that was written to? It was written to people that already had their sins forgiven. Okay, so we actually read the same group of people, the same audience of John's epistle here in First John. That same group of people in First John chapter five and verse thirteen. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Okay, so he's writing to people that already believe. You know, these are not people that are in need of confessing their sins to not go to hell. No, these are people that already believe. But we just need to confess our sins, and God will forgive us, and we won't feel convicted of our sins. We will feel a assurance and a peace because we're submitting to God's call to repentance. But he says, you already believe on the Lord. You're already saved. You're already exhibiting an evidence of salvation. But he says, I'm writing unto you that already believe that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So he's writing to people who already believe. Why is belief important? Belief is important so you can have assurance of salvation. The whole reason why God chose out a people is so that that people, that elect group of people, would be to the praise of the glory of his grace. Well, uh, how are we supposed to praise God's grace if we don't know about his grace? How are we supposed to praise God's grace? If we think that a work that I performed gets me to heaven. No, we believe not to get eternal life. We believe because we already have eternal life. And God designed belief. He designed faith in a way that we can have assurance. Notice this, that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't intend for his children to walk around wringing their hands their entire life wondering if I really am a child of God or not. God intends for his people to feel an assurance and a peace 
of salvation. And that's the deliverance and peace and assurance and confirmation and sealing of the Holy Spirit that people have when they believe. And then he's writing to people that believe. I want you to hear this and know this so you can have assurance that you already have eternal life. But also, I want to encourage you that you keep on believing, that you may know you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. They already believe. I want to encourage you to keep on believing and feel assurance that you're a child of God. But I also want you want to encourage you to keep on believing. So uh, God does not intend for his children that he saves to go around wringing their hands and in fear and anxiety and concern all of the time, particularly that I'm going to make a mistake and I'm saved by works. So if a work got me into heaven, then a work I could mess up and a work could get me into hell. And if I mess up today, then God may love me today. But if I mess up and, and do something that's really bad in his sight, I can lose my salvation and God will send me to hell. God doesn't intend for his children to live in fear that they can lose their eternal life by something that they do, by work that we mess up. No, God intends for us to know we have eternal life. And the reason why the gospel is so important is when we understand that our salvation is totally wrapped up and totally sealed and finished in Jesus Christ, then we don't have a fear that something that I can do can mess it up because there's nothing that I did to get me eternal life. So therefore, there's nothing I can do to make myself lose eternal life. So God intends for his children to have an assurance of salvation that we may know that we have eternal life. David has unpacked a lot of, of good information there. And I would say the the key to understanding scripture or one of the keys is this separation of, of understanding that there are verses in scripture that talk about an eternal salvation or a salvation from hell to heaven, a salvation from your sins, uh, the things that Christ did for us, things that God did for us. And there's also a salvation, a deliverance taught in the Bible uh, that is dependent upon our works. And you quoted from first Peter chapter three and verse 21, where it says not putting away the filth of the flesh, but an answer of a good conscience towards God talking about baptism and just before that little parenthetical statement, it says the like figure whereunto baptism does also now save us. So right. there is a present tense salvation that we see through baptism. As you said, as we submit to baptism, as we partake in the Lord's Supper and the communion service, uh, as, we, as we actively believe uh, the preaching of the gospel, as we read our Bibles, as we come closer to God, uh, we can save ourselves with the help of God. Uh, we can deliver ourselves from this crooked or untoward generation. So there is a, a present now salvation that is taught in the Bible. But let's get back to that past tense salvation that you've been talking about, that it is finished when he cried out on the cross. So salvation to heaven, what we're talking about here, not, not a, a temporal deliverance in time, but salvation of our souls. The biggest problem we ever had is that we are guilty before a holy God, and we needed a Savior. And if you're listening today and you think, I need a Savior, there's good news because you have one in Jesus Christ. And so when he cried out, it is finished on the cross, he, he completed that work. And David's talked about the great 
comfort that, that brings. Jesus Christ said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Nothing else in this world is going to set you free other than the truth of the gospel. And the, and the truth of the gospel isn't that, that Christ did his part, now you do your part. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all, and it's all to him that we owe. So let's talk about the last part of that in a past tense salvation. Not only does it bring great comfort to the child of God, when you, when you can finally see Jesus Christ as your all in all and your successful Savior and the perfect sacrifice for you, but I think there's also an aspect of this past tense salvation that brings proper glory to God. So, David, could you expand on that? That I mean, God is worried about his glory. That's one thing that, that God is concerned about is about who gets the glory. And so when you have a system that says God did 95%, 99% of it, and, and I believed or I accepted or I prayed this prayer or I walked this aisle or I did this or I did that, no matter what it is that you you did, in my opinion, you're robbing God of some of his glory. Do you agree? And what are your thoughts on that? Certainly. Uh, God is described as being a jealous God. And if there's anything that God is jealous over, he is jealous over his glory. And he ought to be, honestly. He, he should be jealous over his glory because he is so majestic and so glorious and so powerful. I mean, God deserves all the glory, and uh, he is justified to demand all of the glory because he's worthy of all that glory. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, we're told that God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see on the cross that Jesus declared it is finished. The work of salvation was fully executed and completed and finished. So especially in our eternal salvation, God is jealous over his glory. And if there's anything that detracts from his glory in, in any area of life, especially in saving sinners to heaven, if there's anything that detracts from the glory of God, then that should be something that we run away from. You know, I've heard many of uh, my minister friends uh, in the church say, whether you believe that Jesus finished the work of salvation on the cross or not, whether you believe in election or predestination or not, whether you believe in some of these points or not, just think about what gives the most glory to God. That it, it, does... Does a system of salvation that says God did it from A to Z, we have nothing to do with it, and it's only by his sovereign grace, not by any work that we do, not by a prayer that we pray, not by our baptism or a lifetime of good works. Nothing we do would be sufficient to save uh, us from our sins. At the end of the day, does a doctrine that says God did it all and therefore he gets all the glory or God did his part but I did my part, so therefore I, I've got a little bit to brag on to. Of those two things, what gives the most glory to God? And I think anyone could say that it's that he finished the work of salvation. That's what gives the most glory to God. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we just think about the fact that if our salvation, our eternal salvation to heaven, is dependent upon some action we perform, 
Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. So he's done everything he's going to do, but he doesn't know at this time the amount of people he's actually going to have with him in heaven because he doesn't know yet how many people are actually going to believe. So the number of people in heaven are, are, are fluctuating. They're pending at any given point. So Jesus did his part, and now the sinner has to do their part and pray a prayer. Well, if you showed up or you lived your, your life, a portion of your life, as an unsaved individual, Jesus, done every, Jesus has already done everything he's going to do on the cross. But you, for a portion of your life, are unsaved. And then you believe or you place faith in Jesus or you pray a prayer or you're baptized or some action you perform. You, before that work, you were unsaved. After that work, you're saved. Well, what is the means of your salvation? I believe that we would have to say that if you, if before that action, you know, we believe, as Prince Baptist, uh, we believe that the scriptures teach that before the cross, uh, certainly we were saved in the mind and the purpose of God, but we were still in our sins before the cross, and our sins are put away after the cross, so therefore we are saved on the cross. But if you are unsaved at one point, you perform an action, and then you're saved after that point, well, what are you saved by? You're clearly saved by that action. You're saved by that works. And now we're right back to salvation by works, which Scripture is very adamant that that's not the case. But but worse yet, that work detracts from the glory that Jesus Christ should receive by being 100% sole means of our eternal salvation. So when we say that we did something, when we say that, I got saved when I did something. Notice you're using first person pronouns. When I performed an action, when I got saved. No, when God saved me. That's what the Christian ought to say. When God saved me. Why? Because he gets all the glory for our eternal salvation, not an action that we performed. 99% of Jesus and 1% of me because scripture also makes it very clear. Listen to this in uh, Romans chapter 11 and verse 6. If by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it's no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. And what that simply means is it's either 100% grace or 100% works. If it's 99% grace, but you have to do one thing, that means it's 100% works. And if there's any action that we have to do to be saved to heaven, then that means that someone else gets the glory other than Jesus Christ getting 100% of the glory. And uh, we, we believe that Jesus deserves 100% of the glory because he did 100% of the saving. And we didn't add anything to that. We did not complete the transaction of eternal salvation, because if we did, that would detract from the work and the glory that Jesus deserves from saving his people on the cross. So Jesus did 100% of the work of our eternal salvation, and therefore he deserves 100% of the honor and the glory and the praise for him completing that work. I agree with everything that David has just said, and on the M121 podcast, we, we are unapologetically Primitive Baptists, and what David's been explaining today is what Primitive Baptists believe about salvation, a successful Savior. And if you're listening today and this is not what you believe, uh, we're, we're not here to ridicule you. 
Uh, we're here just to explain what Baptists have believed throughout history, what we believe today, and what we do believe gives the most glory to God. I think John the Baptist said it best when he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. Our job as disciples of Jesus Christ is to make much of Jesus and to make very little of us, and that includes in the doctrine of salvation and how we get to heaven. If you enjoy what David has said today, if the message rings true to you, I would invite you to go to his website. You can go to gospel-of-grace.com forward slash churches, and they have a directory of churches particularly in the North Mississippi and Pensacola, Florida area, but there's a link to March to Zion, which has a, an extensive directory of primitive Baptist churches in America. And find a church, visit a church, if you enjoy the message that he's been bringing today. We've said a lot, and if we tried to unpack it all tonight, I wouldn't have a podcast to do next week. So we'll save some of it for, for more to come. And David, I hope you'll, you'll come back and join us uh, for many more conversations. I appreciate that. And I will have a little plug for our home church website as well. Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Akron, Mississippi. And that's macedonia-pbc.org. And we have our uh, Sunday sermons up there and a podcast uh, for our Sunday sermons, the podcast for um for our radio messages and there's other content on there that hopefully can be profitable for you as well. It's a great resource and I would encourage you to go out there. I'll put all those links in the show notes and hope to have David back. I want to do a series of of podcasts on what is a primitive Baptist and nobody better to do that than the man who literally wrote the book on it, brother David Wise. So we'll have you back soon. God bless you, brother. Thank you, brother Josh.